The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. So I'm a firm believer that there is no such thing as a dumb question. Now, I'm guessing that those of you watching or in person would, might disagree with that. Um, some of you might even have some snide little remarks saying, yeah, there's no dumb questions. There's just, you know what? I'll let you fill in the blank of that, um, which I just don't believe is true because questions are so important for two very big reasons. The first is questions reveal your heart. Like oftentimes the question is coming from something deep within, but for most of us, we aren't choosing to look into the question being asked. We just want to quickly answer the question instead of getting to know the story behind the question. But if we actually know the story behind the question, it might help us understand what's being asked. and might help us better address what's being asked. The second thing why I think questions are so important is because questions allow growth. Right, because question because when someone asks a question, you can get one of three responses. Um, they give clarity to the things you have no idea about, which is a good thing. They also help solidify the things that you are kind of certain about but just aren't sure. And lastly, hopefully, they give you opportunities for loving correction. Not always loving, um, but they give you correction in the areas in which you are wrong. And so, questions are a good thing. To ask. Today, we're going to be looking at a question, and, and hopefully this question allows us to see the beauties and the truths of God's Word and His kingdom in comparison to ours. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 20, and if you're doing so, if you don't have a Bible, it's on the pamphlet, it will, pamphlets, it is also going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, I just want to remind us of uh, where we're at. Over the last few weeks, we've been doing this series called The Rhythms of Life. And the goal of this series is to not to, to talk about habits in our lives that don't give us merit with God, like giving us this special privilege with him, but ultimately allow us to experience the fullness of what his promise says, that I've come to give you a life and a life to the abundance, which is in John 10.10. 10. But too often when we think of that promise, we look at it through the Western American mindset that it's about riches and comfort and all these other things when in that passage it says, no, it's knowing my voice and being led by me. And, and the reason for that is if we could accomplish abundant life on our own, the question would always be, why haven't we already done it? It's because we can't. We need the creator, the one who created us to do that. And so he gave us habits in which we can experience his fullness. And so we talked about the need for Christian community, not that you need to hide yourself from the world, but the people that you're looking to to help guide you in the hardest times, your closest friends should be those who are on the same page as you and believe the same things. And we talked about the need to pray intentionally because the world as a whole prays, but we have the ability to intentionally pray to the creator of the universe. And so we need to take time in our life to intentionally pray, not situationally pray. And we talked about the need to know God and his word and to know his voice by studying it. And then we're talking about the importance of rest and rest allows us to then get to experience fullness of him 
just like fasting last week. And so today we're gonna be looking at another habit um, that God calls us, you'll see even stronger than calls um, to dive into. And so let's look at this, this passage of scriptures. In John, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20, it says this. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him. This is Jesus with her sons. Kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And when he said here, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at the right hand and one at the left hand in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They, the two sons said to him, we are able He said to them, you will drink my cup, but sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by the father. And when the 10, the other disciples heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers and the two brothers, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. In verse uh, 20, we read that this mother approaches Jesus with a question. Before we can dive into the question, we need to talk about who this is. Now, when the Bible writers wrote, they were very intentional with the ways they chose to write because they want us to dive into it. It's a, the, one of the only times in human history where the, the text that was written was meant to, to be wrestled with. Right now in our culture, read, write things and give quick answers. And it's not relational in that regard. Like the, the writers want us to experience this. And so they want us to ask questions and, and to try to figure out who these, who these people are and actually get more information because they easily could have told us who these people were and just left it at that but they wanted us to draw back to something. So who is this and what's being spoken about here? Well, in uh, the first part of Matthew, Matthew chapter four, we read that Jesus is just starting his ministry. And so in doing that, he's finding people to come along on this journey with him. And he goes to the Sea of Galilee and in the Sea of Galilee, he starts to find people there. And we read in Matthew chapter four, starting at verse 21 and 22, says this, and going from there, he, Jesus, saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and, and he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So the sons of Zebedee are, are the disciples, James and John, and so Matthew should have just simply written that. The mother of James and John, came to Jesus with a question. But Matthew is revealing some information because I think it helps us understand the question that she's asked. I don't know how many of you have ever gone fishing before, but fishing is not called catching for a reason because you can do everything possible. You can have the right lures, you can have the right necks, the right traps, do everything you possibly want and come back empty-handed. And if this is something you do for sport, it's sad right? It's sad. You come back empty-hempted, but it's not life-threatening. Now, think about what it means to be a fisherman for a moment. 
just like us, when we can do all the proper things and still end up empty-handed, if your livelihood depends on it, it's a lot heavier when you come home empty-handed. All right, so, and so these, these two sons are fishermen, and this is helping us understand that they probably grew up in a place where there were times in their lives that they probably had food on their table, their bills paid for, and maybe a little bit of extra because the fish were in their part of the sea and they were able to catch things. But there are other times in their life when there were no fish and they could toil and wrestle and do all the things possible, and yet they would have to struggle deeply to get food onto their table. And, and how stressful that can be, right? I, I, uh, and I'm a son of a tradesman and, uh, who is a waterproofer, and so I recognize the reality. There are times in my own life where my dad would be working nonstop because there was work. But I also recognize there were times in my life where my dad was home a lot because of the weather or situations. And even though I was very, my parents did a great job of hiding the realities of their stress from us, as an adult, I can't possibly imagine now how it was truly feast or famine in in that world. And, And this mother is coming to Jesus on the behalf of her two sons. On the behalf of her two sons who are, fishermen by trade. And in that, we start to see a little bit of the picture of what she's asking. Because of course she's asking, will you honor my kids and, and, and put them in places of great authority, which is something all of us truly want, but she's really asking, Lord, will you comfort them? Will you provide them a better life than the life they currently will have? Because I know the stresses and the turmoil they face. And so she comes with that question. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely come to Jesus with a question similar to that at times. Lord, will you provide for me a better life than the one I have? And Jesus answered her and ultimately answers me, yes, but it's not in the way that you think it will come. Because if it's something you can imagine, then you could have already done it or you could have worked for it or could have done all the tasks to get it done, but yet you are still not satisfied and yet you're not able to grasp what you are getting. And so Jesus ultimately, so what we're seeing here is revealing of her heart, the questions she's asking him. But it also helps us understand something else about her is that she does believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now the Messiah is a Christian word that simply means a savior of the people group and specifically the the people of Israel. Now, if you don't know the story of the Bible well, let me try to quickly summarize this. In Genesis chapter one, the first book of the Bible, uh, we read that God created the heavens and the earth and created mankind to have an authentic relationship with them. But to have an authentic relationship with them, he had to give them the choice to not to worship him. Because if you're forced to worship someone, then it can't ever be an authentic relationship. Well, they chose not to worship him. And they ate of the fruit, which is, was the way to prove their worship, or not prove their worship, was to distinguish, will you trust me or not? And in doing so, that created a divide between us and God. And so God, out of his love and mercy and passion for the people he created, 
started to put a plan in process to how to reconnect himself to the world he created. And he did that by trying to first find a representative of his people. Now, that doesn't mean that they were special by any stretch of an imagination. Um, God just simply looked for someone who was still choosing to worship him. Like, think about it this way. If I told you I was moving next week and I said, who here is willing to raise their hand right now and help me move, who's gonna do it? All right, we got one person. So I simply say, I choose you to help me, right? It's not because they're greater than anyone else. I simply asked everyone and they chose to raise their hand, right? And so, he, so Abram raised his hand and said, sure, I'll represent you. And then Abram has a son and his sons and sons, and eventually they grow into this great nation called the people of Israel. And they were called to represent Jesus, meaning look, represent God, to look different than the world. And yet they just looked exactly like them. They failed to represent him. And so God, through these people called the prophets, were just simply those who got to talk with God and then share the truths of of God to those around them, started to say, there's gonna be a day when someone will restore this, that he will rule and bring my, and usher in my kingdom. And that's what she's believing. Like, because she's asking Jesus this question, it reveals that she believes he is the Messiah. Because you're not gonna come to me and say, hey, Ricky, when you run for president, um, can my sons be your cabinet members? I'm not running for president, so it's not gonna do you anything. But sure, if you want. No, this reveals her belief that Jesus is the Messiah. But it's in that question that Jesus then starts to ultimately start to correct her misunderstanding of his kingdom. Because when he he asks, do you... um, when she asked this question, his response is, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Now he's alluding to the fact that he's going to die on the behalf of us. Um, and the sons ultimately revealed their misunderstanding of, of who he was because they say, yes, of course we can drink from your cup. Their expectation is they're gonna pick up a sword and start to usher in a kingdom because that's what we expect when it comes to ruling today, right? Like we literally are seeing this reality take place in our world right now. Russia is invading Ukraine. A ruler wants something and so what does it do? It brings a military force into a nation and uses its power to turn it over, which is really sad right now. We continue to pray for these people. And that's what they're expecting. That's what they're expecting here. And Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom will come because if my kingdom is going to be greater than anyone, any kingdom on this earth, it has to be different than any kingdom on this earth. It can't look the same. Now this question, as you, as, as you can imagine, makes the other disciples kind of mad. And if you're wondering why, it's because they wanted to ask the same question. <laughs> Right? They wanted the seat of authority. They wanted their lives to be taken care of where they could ask for anything and get it in a moment to be fully comfortable and all these things. And so Jesus lovingly brings them all together and responds to the question that is being asked. And he says, 
verse 25, but Jesus called them, all the disciples together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the great ones execute their authority over them. It shall not be among you. It shall not be among you. Right? In this moment, he's starting to hopefully help them to start to see that his kingdom doesn't look like the world around him. And, and the actual original text here, um, it shall not be, is a word that's ongoing. And so it's actually more of a command. And so what we can actually see here is this, is that serving is a command by God, not a favor. Not a favor. Too often when it comes to uh, belief in Jesus, we, uh, I hear people say, well, I, 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 fall, I, I will um, accept him as Lord because he prevents me from experiencing something I do want, want to experience. But the extra stuff, I don't want to do. I've got what I want. I don't want to burn in hell. So the other stuff, that's not, that's, I don't have time for it. But Jesus saying here is that's not true, that if you say that you follow me, that you're a part of my kingdom, then you're going to act like me. And, it's, and so this is not a favor to God. This is part of your worship to God. And so if this is a command, if this is our worship, we should understand what is serving. Well, serving is giving up your time, money, and effort towards a person or an organization. Serving is giving your time, your money, your effort towards a person or organization. This is exactly what Jesus did in his ministry. Jesus was others focused and was constantly giving his time, his money, and his effort towards others instead of towards himself. He literally concludes this saying that the son of man didn't come to be to serve, but to be served. And he demonstrated this out in the ways of his life. When, uh, I think about the first, um, right after my freshman year of college, uh, I had during that time, I met Jesus. And I, um, had a, had someone come up to me and just asked me to help uh, start an organization in the, in the Morgan Hill area called uh, Young Life. And I remember going to this person and, and, and saying, there's no way I can do this because I just spent a year, <laughs> or most of my life, I had just become a believer truly. I mean, I grew up in the church, but I wouldn't call myself a believer until after my freshman year of college. And it's like, I've spent this last year drinking heavily, being super sexually active, all the things that I know this is, that goes against this. Like, I still got to get myself together before I can imagine serving. And this person chose to give up her time, her money, and her effort to reveal the gospel to me. That her love, her passion for Jesus ultimately caused this to become easy. I don't think she would ever tell you. I even saw her last week and, and I can, I've always thanked her. She's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do much. And I just think about the reality is like, it's because of the gospel in her that it didn't seem like much. Because the truth is, is that serving reveals the gospel in us. If we have been pacted by Jesus and he has 
entered into our space and done what he, is, what he has done in our life by, by freeing us from sin, then it is just a byproduct of what we wanna do. Like, I love my wife, but I'm not forced to love my wife, right? Like, because of our relationship, the things that she's enjoyed, I start to enjoy because of our time together. And so even though this is saying it's a command, it's, it's not as much as a command as it's simply a heart posture. And, and, and so when we think about how is the gospel being revealed in us, it, it should just be the natural byproduct of our time with him. And, and the truth is that when we do that, it brings pleasure to God, all right? Serving brings pleasure to God. And, and I don't know if, if you've ever experienced this, but the other day, um, uh, for those of you that you have kids, if you don't have kids, um, I'll try to give a different idea. Um, but my daughter got in trouble for back talking to her mother. And she's not a teenager yet. And that scares me. Because <laughs> for all of you who have teenagers, uh, I did youth ministry for a long time. Um, I know that day is coming. She's six, not yet. I still had a couple years left. But so she gets in trouble when she sends off to her room and she does the, like, the, like, hey, you need to say sorry. And so she's like, sorry, mom. And like, it's not authentic. And so she's up in her room and when she's available to come out, she hands my wife a note. And in that note it says, mom, I am so sorry for talking back to you. Will you forgive me? I will try better not to do it again. And I can't tell you how much pleasure that brought my heart because she didn't have to do that. But because of our time together talking about how uh, forgiveness needs to be authentic and real, that as we've been communicating what we want her to do, she chose to freely do that and not be forced. And in that moment, the pleasure that I received from her was greater than anything I've ever been able to give myself. And so when we are living in the gospel which, and, and truly sharing um, in the things that Christ has done, it's bringing joy to the one who created us. Uh, it says it this way in, in um, uh, Colossians 1.10. So walk, into, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What this says is that when we walk in the ways that Jesus created and, and we walk in the ways that we were designed, this allows the fruit of his truths to come out of us and it brings him joy. Serving is not a favor. It's something that should be flowing through us. And when it's flowing through us, it brings our creator joy. Now, this is usually the time when everyone starts to feel guilty right? Because of, oh gosh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And that's when we need to understand that serving is about your heart, not about your action. Serving is about your heart, not your action. Um, doing something out of guilt or shame um, doesn't produce great fruit. And, and we see that throughout scripture. We see that throughout scripture. One of um, the greatest examples of that is in um, Hosea chapter six in verse six, it says, for I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. 
the knowledge of God rather than a burnt offering. What this is saying here is that I rather you walk in my ways than do the religious acts. But too often we think that it's the religious acts that God wants, not our heart. He goes on, even Jesus talks about it in, in Matthew, that um, in Matthew 5, so if you are to offer a gift at the altar, this is a religious act, you were supposed to go and, and if you wanted to bring glory to God um, and remember that there is a brother that has something against you, leave the gift there before the altar and go and reconcile to your brother. Meaning leave church and go fix the relationship because I want you to, I want your heart, not your action. And so serving truly is not about what I do. It's more about where it's coming from. It's, has the gospel impacted you in a way that causes you to want to represent Jesus well? That causes you to want to represent Jesus well. So what is serving look like? Well, serving is giving up your time, your money, and your effort. I think many of us think it's one of those things, right? I'll give my time, but I won't give my money or my effort. Or I'll give my money, but not my time and my effort. Or maybe I'll give my effort but just not my time and my money. The reality is it's all of those together. Nowhere do we sing it distinguish and separated. He says, no, like serving is a byproduct of these, as these three things always at work. So what does that look like? It can be simply like helping out a brother or sister in the house by giving up your time. Maybe it's helping them get some food or do something like your effort, like you're saying, I'm gonna choose to stop focusing what I'm on here for a moment and help you. Um, this, this past week, uh, Friday, we got to take my kids to um, Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. And my daughter likes this like little kid version of the, of the drop zone um, where the parent pretty much has to hoist you up into the air, like pull a string. If you're strong enough, you could do it, but... Most kids can't. Um, and then it slowly just puts you down, I guess. And so my daughter and I are doing it and she's having a fun time. And in my point of view, I can see this young, this mom within a stroller and the face that she has is very sad because her boy who's sitting alone can't do it. Like he's trying, but he's struggling to get up there. And, and so like without hesitation after I just said, hey, um, are you comfortable enough for me to do this, to take your son up there? She's like, really? I'm like, well, I mean, I, I can see that he wants to, but he isn't strong enough to. Or not that he's not a strong boy, but it, it's hard. She's like, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Those little acts are serving. Right? It doesn't have to be this grand old thing, but it also is just where are the areas that God is nudging you? to serve because it's truly about your heart. The sad reality is um, 90% of the church is operated by only 10% of its body. Only 10% of the people in church actually choose to do this. And yet this is what we are all called to do. So every ministry here can use help, but that's not the only areas in which we can help. We, we can help our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. It's it's ultimately the choice to look outward instead of looking inward because our world says 
It's always about looking in, right? That's what Jesus' response was. You shall, uh, the, the Gentiles lorded over them and the great ones exercise authority over them. It's about me, myself, and I. And he says, in my world, um, the greatest among you are those who look outward to serve. But he goes as far as to say that the, you must be a slave. Now, we all have very unique views of what that meant. But at its core, a slave had to work and got no reward for it. That's what he's saying here, that we're not doing it for the reward. We're doing it because it's what Jesus has done for us. Serving is something that should come from, should be happening in each and every one of our lives. It's an expectation, not a favor. It ultimately brings joy to the Lord And it's about your heart. And so as I, as I start to wrap up this morning, I'm gonna leave you with this very hard question. And it's this, because it's the question in which Jesus is simply, I think, trying to ask us in return, is that if you say you worship the serving and sacrificial king, and yet you yourself do not serve or make sacrifices, then are you actually worshiping him? then are you actually worshiping him? Our lives as believers are called to be little Christ, representation of who Jesus is. And so our lives should mirror him. One of the, I think, coolest things that we see in the overview of the book of Acts is as it starts going through the, the, the disciples of Jesus, they, their miracles and their ways of walking and traveling start to mirror Jesus's ways. And Luke, the author here, is ultimately saying that our lives should look so much like Jesus that people would blur the lines until your death. Because none of the disciples in the Old Testament are told about, or in the New Testament and Book of Acts are told how they die. Because he's saying that it should mirror you, like your life should mirror him so much that people would confuse you until the cross, because that's where you cannot take his place. You and I are called to be representatives of Jesus. And that happens in the way that we serve. Because we will not look like the world when we are fighting for position and power, but ultimately giving up those things. And it's in that that we get to experience the satisfaction that the mother was asking about. It's the better life. Because the better life isn't something that the world can offer. It's something only Jesus can give. And he revealed it by how you live like him. So how are you gonna serve this week? How are you gonna have your eyes focused outward instead of inward? Because if you claim to worship the serving and suffering king, then you yourselves are gonna make sacrifices as well and serve too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you um, Thankful for your demonstration that you did not ask us something that you yourself didn't do on your own. And Lord, I think it's easy to be overwhelmed and experience hardship when it comes to this topic, but it should be something that we experience joy from. 
because serving truly is the deep, a deep satisfaction when we can look at someone else and help them and, and relate to them and, and listen to them and to, to do practical things for them. There's the joy that it brings them and ultimately it brings you, makes us satisfied. And so Lord, we pray that we would be people who serve well and that we would ultimately use our time, our money and our efforts well that it would be about making your kingdom known, not trying to make ours known. So God, we give you this time. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.